Good morning. We will continue looking at these subjects in the Old Testament that are foreshadowings of Jesus. This morning, we're going to start out in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 17, as we look at the rock that was struck and then water flowed from it. Next week, we'll go backwards. I know, I did this out of order, but that's the way it happened. Okay. We'll go backwards to Exodus chapter 16 next week and look at the manna coming down from heaven and how that foreshadows Jesus is coming. But today, let's look at the rock and the water. Let me read Exodus chapter 17, the first seven verses of Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandments of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff, which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders in Israel, and he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And as we sang just now, Father, I ask that you speak to us, O Lord, through your holy word. That it would fashion us, conform us into our, your likeness so that we reflect your image to those around us becoming more conformed into the image of Christ and becoming conformed into the image of what you've created each of us to be. And I pray, Lord, that as we walk through this subject in this passage, that I would be speaking your words of truth, that no thing would come from my lips but that which you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, have put there, for the glory of your name and for the building up and edification of your people, each of us in this room right now. Thank you, Father, that you do this and that you give us these kinds of blessings. And we pray this in Jesus' holy, sweet, saving name. Amen. So, a fair question is to be asked at this moment. How does a rock in the wilderness that Moses hits with his walking stick foreshadow Jesus? 
Moses just takes a walking stick and beats up on the rock and somehow that's supposed to foreshadow Jesus. Okay, well, what about Jesus does it foreshadow? Well, first we have to understand what's happening in Exodus 17 right here in this moment. What is happening at this moment in the people of Israel and Moses' life in this part of their journey from Egypt to the promised land? Well, we read that the people are grumbling and quarreling with Moses because they have no water to drink. Okay, why are they doing that? Why are they picking a fight with Moses and God? I mean, Moses even said to them, you're not quarreling with me, you're quarreling with God. You're quarreling with the Lord God. Why do you keep putting him to the test? He doesn't say, he says, why do you put him to the test? But the context and the emphasis there is like, why do you keep putting God to the test? Why do you do this? I don't know. Maybe for the same reason we do. In part, we're never satisfied and enough is never enough. The proverb says that there are three things that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb. And I think I want to add a fourth one to that list of my insatiable desire. Never says enough. And then there's just this whole thing of, do you trust him or not? I mean, look, really, really, you really said that? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Really? I brought you out of Egypt just so I could murder you in the desert. Really? I mean, I don't know. I mean, if that was, I really, I really don't understand how God has so much patience with this bunch. I really don't. I mean, I understand that I'm not very much different, that about the only thing different between me and them is 4,000 years. And, and, and that he's patient with me, so why do I find it difficult to see him being patient with them? But this is just, I mean, this just goes on and on and on every week, it seems like, as you read through the book of Exodus and then into Numbers and then into Deuteronomy. In fact, in Numbers, we have another rock that gets hit with water coming out of it. Now, some people question whether the event in Numbers is the same as this one. I don't think they are. They're very different. They're two different events because the Lord clearly tells Moses to strike the rock here in Exodus 17. And in Numbers, he tells Moses, just speak to the rock. Then Moses gets ticked off on his way to the rock and smacks it with his walking stick again, just like he did this one. And that causes a whole other set of troubles. But this just never ends with their constantly why are you doing this to us? Why did you bring us out here in this desert to die? And so why are they doing this? I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know why they do it. I know why I do it. Because I don't get what I want the way I want it when I want it. I, maybe they just didn't like ever getting thirsty. Maybe they just wanted to always have plenty of water and never be thirsty. I mean, you have to give them a fair, you do have to acknowledge that this was a very bad situation. I mean, we're in the desert. They are in the desert. I mean, they're in the, like I was in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago, right? And I thought Colorado was deserty and dry until I was in Phoenix. And I thought it had been hot here this summer until I was in Phoenix. So 
kind of imagine marching through Phoenix with small children and livestock in July. That's kind of what this is like. I mean, you sort of appreciate their frustration that it's hot and dry and they don't have any water to drink. And oh, by the way, there's only three or four million of us here, plus our livestock. So, I mean, they did have a legitimate concern about this subject of having water, but the way they responded to it is like, are you kidding me? You got to be kidding me. And so what is, you know, Moses goes and asks God, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to handle this, Lord? Look, I mean, it's like being in Phoenix. It's not like I'm going to walk over and just dig a hole and water starts coming out of it. It's not like that. And then God tells Moses to go stand before this rock and strike it with his staff and that water will come from the rock. Okay, Lord, let me get this straight. There's this big rock right over there in this desert. And if I just go hit this rock, water will come out of the rock. Okay, that works. Water comes out of the rocks in the mountains and the other places where there's lots of springs and places. But that just you just don't see water just doesn't come out of a rock in the desert. It just it just, just doesn't happen. And that's what you want me to do. Yes, Moses, that's what I want you to do. Go go over to that rock and hit it with your stick. Okay, Lord. I mean, I, I mean, I try to put myself in Moses' sandals. And I, and I, you know, I mean, and I put myself in Moses' sandals not knowing everything that I know now because I get to read the whole story, right? Trying to imagine what it's like to be Moses in that moment, knowing what you know up to that moment. And yeah, I mean, Moses, he struck the Nile and it started turned red with blood. He waves his staff. And there's locusts everywhere. He waves at another place and there's flies everywhere. I mean, it's clear. He knows at this point that if the Lord tells him to do something with his walking stick, something big is going to happen. But I can also imagine going, oh, this is going to, this is going to be crazy. Yeah, just wait till Aaron hears this one, right? Wait till Aaron hears now what the Lord wants me to do. And then Moses goes and does it, right? God tells Moses to go stand before this rock and strike it with the staff and that water will come out of the rock. And, and Moses does that. He goes and he hits the rock. But it's more than just hit the rock. God tells Moses, I will stand before you on the rock. So when Moses is striking the rock, he's symbolically striking God. He's, in a, in a sense, taking his walking stick and smacking God with it. Because the Lord says, I'm going to go stand before you in the rock. Well, if he stands before him, that means he has to hit God before he hits the rock. And by hitting God, life-sustaining water flows from this rock to the people. Wow. Okay. Then Moses does it. He hits the rock, which is symbolically hitting God, striking the Lord. And then water starts flowing from the rock. It really happens. And apparently it was a lot of water. And when you read through the Psalms, it refers to this event 
And it talks about splitting the rock. So it wasn't just that Moses hit the rock and somehow water starts coming out from a crack. It's like the rock plops open. It's like Moses was using a jackhammer and splits the thing in half and water starts coming out of it. This event of water coming from the rock is just a really big deal to Israelite history. It's referenced in Psalms, as I mentioned, in 78, uh, 15 through 20, in Psalm 105, and Psalm 114. Even, actually, let's just go there and read them. Psalm 78, verses 15 through 20. He splits rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread to provide meat for his people? Then Psalm 105, verse 41. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. And then Psalm 114, verse 8. Who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring? Referring to the Lord and his power over the earth. Oh, and then there's Isaiah chapter 43, verse 20. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals, the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. And then Isaiah 48, 21. And 43 is important because uh, in the book of Isaiah because it's describing Israel's only Savior, the Lord himself. Then we go to Isaiah 48, verse 21 where God's describing his glory over all the earth. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. This is just a huge event in Israel's history. I mean, it even was so important that it became part of the festival celebration at the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. That feast every year they celebrated to recognize and acknowledge their wandering period through the wilderness where they build these temporary shelters and stay inside them to remember when the people of Israel wandered in tents through the desert. During that period of desert wandering and part of the celebration was recognizing this event of water flowing from the rock. And the way they did that was on the last day of the feast, a great festival procession went down from the temple in Jerusalem down to the Gahan Spring, a priest was leading the procession with a pitcher. He would go and he would dip into the spring, pull out a pitcher full of water, and they would make a procession back up to the temple, and he would go into the temple and offer the water on the altar as a drink offering to remember God providing water, life-sustaining water, from this moment in Exodus chapter 17. I mean, it was just a really big deal. They, they commemorated it every year as part of the festival. Okay, great. Appreciate your wonderful exposition of 
biblical history on the subject of water flowing from a rock, but we go back to our very first question, the one I started with. How does a rock in the wilderness that Moses hits with his walking stick foreshadow Jesus? And what about Jesus does it foreshadow? Well, we start with that very procession, that festival act that they commemorated every year during the Feast of Booze and the Feast of Tabernacles. The one that John records in John chapter 7. In verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, when we read this passage in these two verses here in John chapter 7, describing Jesus standing up and said, whoever will believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from him. He said it right in the middle of this procession going up from the Gahan Spring, carrying this pitcher of water, the one that remembers the water flowing from the rock. It was in the middle of remembering that event, that provision and gift from God, that he stands up and says, if anyone is thirst, let him come to me and drink, and whoever believes in me will have rivers of living water that flow from his heart. Just think about that for a second. Okay, just forget the foreshadowing question. Just think about this for a moment. You're commemorating the water coming from the rock, And this Jesus character who said a few things and got people questioning whether he's the Messiah or not stands up and says, remember how God provided for you in the desert, your ancestors? I'm here to provide you living water for the rest of your life if you believe in me. This is a bold claim. Jesus just isn't sort of capitalizing on a dramatic moment. To make a point. He's claiming. I can give you eternal life. If you believe in me. I mean. This is. Whoa. Are you serious? Did you just. Did he just really say that? Oh Lord. Get ready for the stones to start coming. I mean this is a stonable offense. What he says. Because he's saying. I am God. He doesn't say it as plainly as he does in the I am statements in the gospel of John or other places in the, in the gospel narratives. But when he says this, you can't claim that unless you're God. You can't say that unless you have supernatural powers like God. And so here he is. Here he is saying this here. And, and we read that Jesus himself draws this direct parallel from the rock to the desert in Exodus chapter 17. And then when Jesus talks about drinking this water, we think of it in terms of drinking Jesus results in a spring of eternal life flowing from within us. Thankfully, John tells us that it is the indwelling presence of the Spirit is what Jesus is specifically referring to. By drinking Jesus, this well of eternal life by the Spirit indwelling in us flows from us. Yet Jesus has left something out. When he said this, there was one little piece of the story he didn't add. 
something implied by the remembrance of the water from the rock. Something had to get hit with a stick. Someone needed to be struck for the water to flow. And we know this is true because Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I know it's listed there in your outline in the bulletin, but it's too important for us not to take the time to look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, referring to the Exodus where they came through the Red Sea, where it parted, where they lived under God's presence in the fiery cloud by night and the pillar of fire by day. And were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. This isn't just Brian come up with some crazy idea that Jesus is somehow foreshadowed by this rock in the desert that gets hit by a stick and water flows from it. This is Paul's conclusion Himself saying that Jesus was the one struck in the desert. That the rock symbolically was him, as God told Moses, but that it was actually Jesus that Moses hit in that moment. And that for us today, he is that rock that we drink from, as he refers to in John chapter 7. And again, Paul tells us this about Jesus being the rock and we drank from it. And so we do we today. Yet again, there's something left out. The rock cannot give water unless it gets hit. It can't give water. It can't give life till it is struck. And then Jesus is our spiritual rock. He is our spiritual rock that is struck. And water flowed from him. John chapter 18, verse 22. This is uh, when Jesus was being questioned by the high priest. And Jesus responds, why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. And you know what I said. Then verse 22, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus is hit. Then in chapter 19, verses one through four, during the preparation for the crucifixion, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him and the soldiers twisted a crown and thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And then verses, the most important ones of all, chapter 19, verses 31 through 35. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs may be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him, with Jesus. 
But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. John himself saw the spear strike the side of Christ and the water and the blood flow. This, this is, this is Jesus being struck so that life giving water could flow from him to the rest of us. The blood and the water that he sheds through that piercing of his side is equivalent to the striking of the rock in Exodus chapter 17 and the life-giving water that flows. And yes, in his blood and water flow, washing us clean of our sins in terms of his blood and the water being symbolic of the life-giving eternal water that he promised in John chapter 7. Jesus, the rock in Exodus 17 foreshadows Jesus because in the same way that Moses had to strike God to give life to the people, so also Jesus had to be struck so that we could receive life eternal. Okay, great. Thank you very much for that wonderful biblical theological exposition. So what? So what? I've got the three that you have listed there in your bulletin, plus a bonus one that God gave me yesterday. So be ready for number four when we get to it. Believe Jesus is our spiritual rock and drink from this rock. Look, you want to live? You got to drink water from this rock, period. There is no other alternative. This is the only rock giving you water that will sustain you. First for salvation, then for living water to flow from you. Do you understand this? Salvation, salvation is at first for us individually, but it is not alone for us individually. We are supposed to be rivers of living water flowing out from us to others. No, I'm not saying that you and I in some way save another person, but we are agents of salvation in the hands of God. And that life-giving water is supposed to flow from us And as it flows out from us, it's not for us. You understand what I'm saying? It is for those around us. Second, don't be a grumbler like the people in the desert. Uh, This is not just an exhortation to be grateful and to be happy. I am not saying that at all. I am saying don't be a grumbler that you put God to the test. Right. The problem with the people in that day, there in Exodus chapter 17 in front of the rock and fit them, their problem wasn't that they were ungrateful. Their problem was they put God to the test. Don't put God to the test. First Corinthians chapter 10. We can go back there and pick up where I stopped reading. Sorry, I forgot to tell you to hold your finger there. First Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, referring to the people in the desert, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us 
that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, because of all this I just said, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, because he will provide a way for escape, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for all partake of the one bread. Don't put Christ to the test. Well, you can ask the question, how am I doing this? How am I putting God to the test? This one's a little bit uncomfortable. And I don't really know why the God put this one in my mind and made me write this down. Yeah, God made me write this down. Right. Yeah, God made me do it. Yeah. I don't know why this uncomfortable moment here is one that Lord has brought me to, to because there's no contextual reason for saying it. But some may say, especially in days to come, well, God brought us here through Terry's death and the decline of this church. Yet what good is it? We are too small to survive and we're going to close our doors now. Really? Really? God brought you through everything you've been through in the past year just so he could make you close, just so you could close the doors and become another statistic. Really? No. No. Don't put God to the test that way. Understand that, yes, there are unpleasant circumstances and it's really thirsty and hot and dry right now. But it's not for our death. It's not so that we die as a church. It's so that he can do something amazing. I mean, really, in storytelling, there has to be a hero and a villain there has to be a crisis and a danger of the hero or someone the hero is saving. You can't have water from the rock without a thirsty people that need water. If they were standing by the River Jordan, if they were standing by the Nile, nobody's asking where are we going to get water. It's right there. It's only standing in the middle of the desert with nothing but hot sand and rocks around you that you ask, what am I going to do for water? Moses, how am I going to give water to my kids and these animals that are with me? 
You need water because you got no other source to get it from. You're desperate for God's provision and he provides it from the rock. The same is true for us. Until we reach those moments where we're hot and thirsty and we've got no place to get a drink of water from, that his provision makes sense, that it matters, that it really looks like he's doing something special for us. Number three, where is your spring flowing? Whom are you refreshing spiritually with water welling up from within you? A minute ago, I said that this water that wells up within us is really for us. It's for those around us that we're supposed to refresh it with. And that's true. It's absolutely true. Yet at the same time, we get thirsty. We need refreshment from our Savior and from our Father in heaven. People have used the phrase before that we as people of God are like leaky buckets, buckets with holes in them because you can come to church on Sunday or you can go to your Bible on Monday morning and you can be filled up with his goodness and loving presence. And over the day, that bucket just sort of empties out and drains out and you need it filled up again the next morning or even that night or for me at noon. Like my bucket gets full and it makes it to noon if I'm lucky. I need another dose. I need another refill. I'm not so sure that's the right analogy. I mean, since I've been back from Phoenix, I've just been, it's just been really hard for me to get rehydrated and stop being thirsty. I sometimes think that I have some kind of mental breakdown when I was there and I just have this thing going on in my head that I'm thirsty when I'm really not because I was in a dry place and it was hot and I was thirsty there. But we all experience this every day. Look, especially us living here in Colorado, we understand you got to stay, it's how hard it is to stay hydrated, to keep drinking every day and drink and drink and drink. And I think that that's, that that's part of the way God has created us because just in the same way spiritually, we need drinking every day the way that our bodies need drinking every day. We need life-sustaining water from him every day. And where's your spring flowing to? Refreshes ourselves, and then it flows to refresh those around us. And now the bonus. Bonus material. Isaiah chapter 12. It's not very long. It's only a few verses. Yet it stands out so, so dramatically in the context and in the idea of looking at this subject of water coming from the rock. Starting in verse one, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation with joy. You will draw water from the wells of salvation and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, 
for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Right now, right here, in this very second, live out Isaiah chapter 12. Sing joyously for what the Lord Jesus has done for you. Sing with gusto. Sing with the belief and the realization you know you have drank from the wells of salvation and you live in the joy of Jesus, our Savior, who was struck so that we could have life-giving, eternal life and eternal water. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, my Savior. Thank you for loving us this way. Thank you, Father, for giving us yourself, for taking the blow so that water could flow for us to drink and for giving us life and hope and joy. And I pray, Father, that we would live in that joy right now. In Jesus' holy name, amen.